What's up? How you guys doing? Good, good. I am excited. Today, actually today is a little bittersweet because today is the, um, we've been going through the DNA series, but it's the last day of our DNA series. And if you've been tracking with us through it, you know that this is my favorite series of the year because this is the opportunity where we get a chance to, to explicitly say who we are. And just like Joy mentioned a few minutes ago, just the reality is, is that this is all about a reintroduction to God's love. You know, but it's not just about introduction to his love solely, but it's about the reintroduction to the tangible love of God through his local church. Because a lot of times we begin to ask the question is that all I need is God's love. But really, God, as we've been talking about in this series, basically, when it was just him and Adam, he said, Adam, this is not good. You need more. Right. Because we've been created for relationships. So when we talk about Christianity not being a religion, but it being relationships, we're talking about it's a relationship with God, a relationship with one another, relationship with our neighbors. And, and as we begin to steward our time, talent, and treasure to cultivate those relationships, because it's about living this life with passion, right? The way I define passion is a, a willingness to endure the pain for something that's greater than the pain, right? And the question becomes is that if the only way that we're going to reintroduce um, or be reintroduced to this love of God, we got to reintroduce our, ourselves and our understanding to this concept of enduring the pain for something that's greater than the pain. The way I define love, to give you a kind of little bit of understanding, I define love simply this way. Love is a commitment of my will to your needs and best interests, regardless of the cost. Love is a commitment of my will to your needs and best interests, regardless of the cost. Um, and this is what we see. We see the love of God, the passion of Christ, a willingness to endure the pain regardless of the pain. And so what we've been doing over the course of this series, we've been walking through um, just simply five essential questions that we think when we talk about um, our collective identity, um, what the Bible calls the ecclesia or the church right? The church of God, that there's many times we see that the word church is mentioned in the New Testament actually over a hundred times. We see many different metaphors in the Bible that is mentioned that refers to the church, to the church like the bride of Christ, the, um, the bride of Christ, the, the household of faith. And we've seen over and over in the salt of the earth, the light of the world. So we've seen over and over again. And so what we've done is that we just said, here, there's five essential questions for you and I as believers that we need to wrestle with. The first question was, what are, yeah, was, um, what is the church? What is the church? We have to define what the church is. The second one is, why does the church exist? Right. And so after we understand what the Bible says about what the church is, that it's more than just our collective experiences and what we've experienced growing up. But the Bible has spoken. It has testified of what the church is numerous times. So what is the church? Why do we exist? The third question is, is what does the church um, what is the identity of the church? What is the identity of the church? What should the church be known for? And we talked about in Galatians chapter six. Um, that the church should be known for its love, its joy, its peace, its patience, right? That, the, that it's talking about being demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, right? And as we understand that the fruit of the Spirit is not to be confused with a discipline of the flesh. We don't grurt ourselves up. We don't pull ourselves up by the bootstrap to try to love one another more or to try to be more peaceful, 
or to try to be more joyful. What we do is that we cultivate a relationship with God and his Holy Spirit, and it's through that relationship that love becomes its fruit. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, they are fruits of the Spirit, that our responsibility is simply to stay connected, to abide. To abide, and this is what we um, what we what we talk about. And so, when we answer those first three questions, is when we first have to know what is the activity of the church, right? And so, that the fourth question is: is how do we protect her identity? So, if we answer the ask and answer the question, what is the church? Why do we exist? What should the church be known for? Or the identity of the church? Then we begin. What is her identity? That is when we begin to ask and answer the question, is the ecclesia, is the church necessary? Is our gathering necessary? Is our time with the Lord necessary? The things that we do, do and don't do is in order to protect the very identity of who we are and what Christ died for, right? And so we talked about how do we protect our identity? Right? And then finally, today, we're going to talk about this idea of how do we put her identity on display. If the world will know that, you are my, that you are, we are his, Christ's disciples, because of our love, but he says our love for one another, our love in the context of the local church, right? And how we manifest and how we demonstrate that love towards one another. Many times, there's, there's one author who says it this way, Oftentimes, people are converted to the Christian community before they're converted to the Christian God. They're converted to the Christian community before they're converted to the Christian God. I think what biblically what we, he takes that from is simply this. Let them see your good deeds and then glorify God who's in heaven. Right. So when people see the tangible love of God amongst his church, they come in and say, how are you guys loving one another this way? And then we point them to Jesus, the only way. Coming from, a, you know, being a part of a big family, my wife and I, we have six children and, you know, so it's eight of us, right? And, you know, when we were young, it's hard to get all of us together because there's teenagers now and they don't, they're cooler than us at this point. But back when they wanted to hang out with us, basically, we would go out oftentimes, right? And as we would walk, um, around, it'd be my wife and I and the six children, people would always come up to our family and they would ask two questions. The first question was, is always, are they all yours? That's always the first question as they look in amazement of how many. And then the second question inevitably would always be, how did you get them to like one another, to actually love one another? They're actually so, they get along so well. And there was something that was attractive about a large family as we were walking throughout that, was, that actually and genuinely loved one another that came together. And that it came through first the identity of recognizing, yes, th that we are one another's, but then the activity that we were demonstrating one to another. And what's interesting about that is that we never went out and did a lot of like, you know, telling and talking about, look at us family, look at us as family and the Lewis aid. We didn't do a lot of that, but because of our love for one another, people were attracted. People were attracted. And this is the very essence of what Jesus tells us. He tells us that we are to love one another, right? And so on here, we begin, if you think of, look, look at it, this kind of circle, because it starts with you at the core, because the reality is that we cannot give what we do not have, 
right? And so um, when we think about the, the essence of, you know, this concept of um, the philosophy of our church, that the gospel changes people and God uses people to change the world. So it is our, we exist to unleash healthy people to do ministry where life exists, right? And the way we define health are people who are growing in the gospel in the context of family while on mission, right? Those are the three pillars, gospel, family, mission, right? And that's really what we've been talking about, this concept of how do we cultivate these three realities, right? And how do we use all of our time, our talent, and our treasure to cultivate these three realities? So the question becomes that if we say that a healthy Christian, a healthy Christian is someone who is growing in the gospel, who understands their identity as gospel-centered believers, right? That in the context of family, who understands that the church is not like family, but we are family, right? Where God is our father, Jesus is our elder brother, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And so when we understand that and that we are responsible for one another, but when we understand that we are indigenous disciple makers, that we intentionally to seek or we intentionally seek to make disciples where we live, where we work, and where we play, if we define health and um, cultivating those three primary relationships with God, with other believers, and with our neighbors, the question becomes is how? How do we put that um, ability on display? And so we begin to ask the question, right? Because we cannot give what we do not have. And so I, I, I constantly am asking myself the question in this circle. I, I kind of start with the me and then I move my way out. Um, that I ask myself the question in the inner circle. And I say, Dahadi, am I growing in the gospel in the context of family while on mission? Right? And what disciplines am I doing to cultivate that? But then I go out to my smallest city group or my smallest community. And I ask me and Angie, right, in my marriage, is my marriage growing in the gospel, in the context of family, while on mission? And what things or disciplines am I doing to cultivate that? And then I go out to my next community, my, the Lewis 8, and I ask the question, how are we growing in the gospel, in the context of family, while being on mission? And what disciplines, what am I doing to cultivate that? And then I keep going out and then I move out to my city group, our missional community on here, our, our city group, and we ask the question, how are we growing in the gospel in the context of family while on mission, right? And then we move out to our church and we ask the question as a church, how are we growing in the gospel in the context of family while on mission? And what things are we doing to cultivate that? You see, because the reality is, is that we all know that relationships are not built by osmosis. It takes cultivating. It takes cultivation in order to build healthy relationships, right? And this is the way what we do. And so we do disciplines in order to, to remind us, disciplines are not a sign of strength, but they are an admission of weakness. And I discipline myself because I'm weak and I need to cultivate that within me. It's sort of like being in a river, that if you're not constantly disciplining yourself to going upstream, then you're going downstream. Right? And this is the reason why God calls us to not forsake the assembly, for he calls us to spend daily in his word, why he calls us to go in the share of faith. These are constant reminders to you and I 
that if we don't do that, what ends up happening is that our life all becomes wrapped around me. You become the center of everything, right? But there's a principle that we used to teach our kids. We talked about leadership, and leadership is proactively meeting the needs of others. Proactively meeting the needs of others. Taking initiative for the benefit of others. And so here we are. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to um, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to look at 19 to 25, and then we're going to briefly look at this for a minute, but then we're going to take a look at this concept. And and what we're going to see is those three primary relationships of gospel-centered believer, responsible sibling, and indigenous disciple-makers, and we're going to see this. And so I'm going to reread it, and then we're going to jump in um, to um, the text. We'll jump into the text, all right? In verse 19, let's start with 19 through 21. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the, through the curtain. And since we have a great high priest over the house. Here's the statement that I want you to remember today. There's three parts to the statement, and we're going to look at the first one today. But here's the statement, is that a gospel-centered fellowship gives us clarity, makes us family, and calls us to be missionaries. Gospel-centered fellowship gives us clarity, makes us family, and calls us to be missionaries, right? And we're going to see this here in this text, right? So looking at this first point, gospel-centered fellowship gives us clarity. Clarity about what? When we talk about this idea of clarity, that there's a key word that you'll see throughout the scripture. And there's a word that you may not understand, but it is a word that you, that you need to understand and it's because it's clear, um, because it brings clarity in terms of how we relate to God. And that word is righteousness. That's one of those kind of $10 words that, that we see. And if you wasn't raised in the church or didn't have someone explain to you, you might not understand what that word means. Righteousness in kind of a layman's term just simply means to be in right relationship. Right relationship. That if you recognize this concept of righteousness, that there is both a justice component to righteousness, to be right, that you see the justice side, but then there's also the relational side, relationship or right standing that we have. And so right here, the question that you and I are constantly asking in all of our relationships is, are we in right relationship? Are we in right standing? It becomes a little bit more complex when we talk about sinful people being in right relationship with God. Because here you have, you have a holy and a perfect God dealing with sinful and wretched people like you and I. And so the question is not, how can a loving God send send good people to hell? The real question is, how can a holy and a perfect God allow sinful people like you and I into his presence? And so when we reverse the question and we recognize the the reality of the question is, how does God accept a wretch like me? someone who's jacked up, someone who's messed up. How do we know that we are in right relationship with God? And that becomes the question because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, every man. It says it's appointed for every man to die once and after this there will be judgment. 
So the question that we ask as believers is, what, what is right standing with God? And so what gospel-centered fellowship does, it gives us clarity. And this is what we pick up right here in verse 19 and following. It tells us, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, how? Why do you and I have boldness to enter into the fellowship, that we have right relationship, that we can boldly enter into the throne room of God? Because it tells us very simple, through the blood of Jesus. If you were to look at Romans, the book of Romans, the book of Romans lays it out in Romans 1.18 through all the way through chapter 3. It talks about in 3, um, 3.10, and it kind of gives a state of the human, how humans relate to God. And you know what the state is? There is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who even seeks after God, right? And so it, it declares where we are. Romans 3.23 then says that for all have sinned and falling short of God's glory. That no matter what, we've all sinned, that even if we sin only three times every day, that in the course of a month, that's 99 times, or 90-something times, 99 times, 93, you guys do the math, right? In the course of a year, that's 93. In the course of a year, that's about 1,000 times. So think about it. If you turn those sins and just the traffic tickets, and your number one defense going to a judge was, hey, judge, I know I got because they said the average person lives 70,000, 70 years, 80 years. Hey, judge, I got 80,000 traffic tickets, but most of my friends got a million traffic tickets. Would, would the judge be like, oh, yeah, you know, I got, some, I got bigger fish to fry. Let me go. Would he be a just judge in saying, yeah, I got bigger fish to fry? You see, but most of us think that pulling ourselves up by the bootstrap is going to put us into right relationship with God, where he says, no, it's not, that's not how that works. Because I'm a holy and a perfect God, and even the best of people who only sin three times a day, and I know I sin three times a day, just waking up in the morning. That if you just say that over the course of my life, that, that my best defense is this, that I've tried my best, you see, that's what separates Christianity from every other religion. Christianity says it's the only way that you get to have right relationship with God. It's not through your blood, sweat, and tears, but it's through the blood of Jesus. He was the only one who lived the perfect life. He died the death that you and I deserved. And that's what they talked about. And, and if you continue on after he says in Romans 3.23 that the righteousness of God has been revealed. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it says, and the righteousness of God has been revealed to us. It has come in the picture, in the person and work of, the Lord, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So that if I was to die and go to heaven right now, I would not, and then Jesus would have asked me, why should I let you into my heaven? I wouldn't say because I was a pastor, because I tried my best, because I raised my kids, I, was, I stayed pure with my, I wouldn't say any of those things. I would simply say it's because of Jesus died. For my sins. The blood of the lamb died. That all of my righteousness is all of it is based upon him. And if Jesus wasn't good enough, then what Paul says is that I'm the most foolish of them all because I put all of my stock in the fact that he lived perfect, that he made, he met the standard 
right? And so this is ultimately what the author of Hebrews is letting us know. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have boldness to enter into enter through the blood of Jesus. Why? Because he has inaugurated for us a new and a living way through the curtain. No longer do we offer up animal sacrifices. No longer do we have to go to the temple and, and do all of the rituals and the stuff in order to make sure that God's um, hate for sin has been atoned for. No longer do we have to do that, but it's through. And it says now the living way through the curtain and since we have a great high priest over the household of God. It's his blood. It's his sacrifice. So how do we know that we have right relationship with God? It's simple. It's through the person and work of Jesus. That is solely, it's through both who God is and what he's done for you and I that gives us access to God, right? And it's that reality that says that gospel-centered fellowship gives us clarity on where you and I stand before God. And it gives us that $10 word of clarity to righteousness, right standing. So my question to you is, if you were to die today and stand before a holy and a perfect God, how, what would you say? What would you say? This word tells us that all believers now have an open invitation into the most holy of holies. We can be intimate with God. We can have right standing with Jesus because of his person, because of his word. But not only does gospel-centered fellowship helps us, gives us clarity, gives us clarity, gospel-centered fellowship also makes us family. God, Jesus, doesn't just save us to be isolated and alone, but it, the Bible tells us that once we come into, um, to know Christ, that we enter into the family of God. We enter into the family of God, and you see this in this, that it goes from, uh, you know, the idea of this first person plural. Verse 22, um, you know, and, and if you were to look at the thing, you can highlight there's Two cents, the author gave his two cents, since this and since that, let us, let us, right? Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful, since he was promised is faithful. And so here we are, he gives us, and he gives us basically a couple of let us, right? Let us, let us, right? And he actually gives us four let us because in verse 24 it says, and let us watch, oh, watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together. And so he gives us his, his two cents that should spur us on to letting us do that. And he tells us three things. He tells us, one, if this is true, if the person in, personal work of Jesus cleanses us and makes us in right standing with God, then we need to draw near with full assurance. We need to hold on to our confession and we need to watch out for one another. We need to draw near, we need to hold on, and we need to watch out. Right. And so he lets us know. And in here, the um, C.S. Lewis says it this way. God not only chose us for himself, but he also chose us for one another. He chose us for one another. And so if you flip those over and basically it tells us 
that not just you, because oftentimes we'll go to the church and we'll look at this all about what am I getting. And as soon as the church is no longer providing for me, then we says, I got to go find some place for that's going to minister to me. Right. You see, but what the Bible is telling us, it's not just about the you. It's about the we. Right. And he talks about the reason why we come together is not just about me, but it's about the we. And it says, so another way of looking at that, let us um, hold on, let us, um, let us draw near, let us hold on and let us watch out. The, or another way that we can look at it is this, help us draw near, help one another, or help us hold on, help us provoke to um, one another to love and good deeds. And if you recognize that these are the very essence, the very things, the responsibilities that we have as family. But as family, we are to do that, right? We have to understand that Christianity is personal, but it's not private solely. It is a personal relationship, but it's not a privatized relationship. You know, and what we have, we have created and we have allowed the world to beat us as, as believers back into kind of our closets. And now the only way we know how to live out our Christianity is in our personal quiet times. Right? No, he's, but the Bible says, let us draw near together collectively. Fellowship gives us that tangible reminder. Let us be committed to one another as responsible siblings right? Um, keeping our hope in Christ. And then it says, help us to provoke love and good works. And that's really why I want to um, spend two more minutes on this idea of that gospel-centered fellowship calls us to be missionaries. It calls us to be missionaries. It gives us clarity with right standing with God. It makes us family that we're not just in right relationship with God, but he calls us to be in relation, right relationship with one another as believers. But it also gives us um, a responsibility to be right relationship with our neighbor, right? It calls us, gospel-centered fellowship calls us to be missionaries. When he says, let us watch out for one another, right? Why? Why are we watching out for one another? Is this so that we just don't sin? No, no, that's not what it says. It says, let us watch out for one another. Why? To provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, right? And it goes on, it says, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching, as you see that day approaching, right? And so what you got to look at right there is that word provoke. Some of your Bibles may have spur on, right? That word right there simply means that let us gather together. Let us not forget to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. Why? Because you come not just to be fill yourself up, but you come to stimulate one another. You come to spur one another. The word in the Greek literally means you come to literally irritate one another. Well, what are we irritating one another? We're irritating one another to love God more, to love one another more. How many of us know that sometimes love hurts? Right? It's a commitment of my will to your needs and best interests regardless of the cost. I oftentimes that know that love hurts. How many times do we not want to love? How many times do you have that person, that friend, that you know they're saying the right thing, but you don't want to hear it? Because you don't want it. Like, I, I don't want to hear that. 
Why am I always the one that has to love? And the Bible tells us that we are to literally come together to be gospel reminders to one another and literally irritate one another to keep loving. Keep loving, right? And this is the reason why God is not going to let us say that Christianity is about our ism, our intellectualism, our emotionalism, our mysticism, our asceticism, whatever ism. He says it's about love. And so every time we come together, keep reminding one another that it's about love. Fall more in love with God. Fall more in love with one another. Fall more in love with your neighbors. That's what this is about. And when you come together, keep stirring that up. Keep stimulating that. That's why in the Bible, gossip is not a small sin. It's a small sin to us. We take care of the big sins, sex and adultery, and we take care of all the big things. But in the Bible, anything that is causing the body of Christ to splinter, to slander, those things, you know what the Bible says? That's the spirit of the Antichrist. Right? And so he tells us when we come together, don't come together to tear down, come together to spur, irritate one another to love, irritate one another to do good works, to do the right next thing. That is the call for you and I as believers, that we ought to provoke one another. You know how many times that the Bible talks about one another? Over 50 times you see these 24 different ways of how we ought to respond to one another. And so it's critical. It's critical that we have a one another. So the question that we've been asking and, answer, and answering is simply, is the church essential? Is it essential? And what we've been arguing is that yes, it is essential. But we got to understand what is the church? Why do we exist? What, are, what should we be known for? How do we protect that identity? And how do we put her identity on display? And so finally today, what we're going to do is that we're going to look at our primary vehicle about putting that on display. Because we recognize that there's many people out there in the world who are never going to step, step foot into a church. So the question becomes is how do we show the love of God to our neighbors? And one of the ways that we have decided at the church to do this through what we call city groups, city groups, right? And city groups is simply about cultivating people to grow in their relationship with God, grow in their relationship with others, and grow a relationship with their neighbors. And so on your desk, I'm desk, I think like I'm a teacher, on your desk, pull out your hand out, go into your desk. Pull out. Uh, but we're going to have the, uh, a couple of people come up and share a little bit about, but on... When you came in, basically, you got a thing about our city groups. Some of you may say, well, I'm already connected with a city group. I'm already a part of a city group. I don't necessarily need this. But what this is good for is oftentimes you may be connected to a city group, but you may come into contact with someone who's not connected to a city group. And this is kind of a roadmap. This lets you know where are we gathering, right? So we're gathering all across Metro Atlanta all across Metro Atlanta, in different areas, in different communities. And we're trying to help people to cultivate how are we growing in the gospel, in the context of family, while on um, being on mission. How can we give um, gospel-centered fellowship? And so what we're going to do is that we're going to talk to them for a few minutes. Um, and then um, after we talk, we're going to give you some time to go to, to the different areas, just like we did if you were here last week, to go to different areas. I, you say, hey, I, I live in this part of town or this part of town. And so we want to be able 
to for you to go to that area. And before we do, um, I've asked Carly to share a little bit. Go ahead, brother, to share a little bit of this. Um, he's he's the um, pastor. Um, here at, at the church and just share a little bit about kind of his heart for city groups and just kind of his desire. Awesome. Hey, uh, good afternoon. Um, my name is Carly. And so I've been a part of the church for pretty much a month now, um, probably less than a month. And so um, I've been going around some of the city groups just to kind of learn uh, about what God has been doing and meet some people. And I'm really excited about some of the city groups that I've seen so far. Um, I was able to see uh, the Sandy Springs group, um, just amazing community and relationship. I got to visit Tara's group. Um, but one of the things that I was really excited about to see, especially when I went to Tara's group, is just the love amongst the people. And I think you said something earlier today um, unbelievers will probably feel more excited and quickly get connected in groups before they get connected into the church. Because in the group, that's when they start seeing, okay, these people make me feel welcome. You know, people make me feel like I can come as I am and not feel judged. And then as they build that relationship, um, we see that they can be invited along with us to come to this church. And again, because of the environment that they were in with church people, they can feel comfortable coming into church. And so I got to see that in a lot of the small groups where just this genuine, authentic love for one another, the care that you guys express for one another. And that's my heart, like for us to have groups where people are being cared for, um, they're growing in the gospel, and then they're being irritated. I love that, right? Uh, being irritated to be disciple makers. And so, um, yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And so um, we also have up here three city group leaders that we're going to ask, an, uh, you know, a few uh, questions about their city groups. City groups look in a lot of different ways. On the sheet, you have the different communities um, that we are represented in right now. So why don't you guys kind of go through and just introduce yourself um, about kind of who you are, where you, where is your city group, what you serve? Uh, my name is Ditson Noel. Uh, I get the opportunity to serve in city group with my wife, Janan, who is serving down in Hello World now. Uh, you'll see our son up running around here uh, at the end of service. Uh, so we are in uh, Summerhill in Pittsburgh uh, neighborhood. Amen. Uh, I'm Kalechi Iwaba, and I serve the Southwest. No? Okay. Southwest City Group, or otherwise known as SWATS as well. So that's East Point. A lot of areas. We're so it's like College Park, College Park, East Point, East Point South. South. Anything South and West of I twenty. West of the city is like what we cover. Amen. Hey, hey, everybody. Just keep talking. Just keep talking. All right. My name is Tara, and I have the privilege to co-lead with Kenny Petty the Old Fourth Ward Parkway. Give it up! Shout out to Old Fourth Ward Parkway. Uh, denim never looks better on you. All right. Amen. All right, and so a big part when we talk about the idea of growing in the gospel in the context of family while on mission, right, there's unique advantages in every arena, right? In the Sunday gathering, you can come and you can leave and not necessarily be known. The reason why we really emphasize the idea of being in a city group is that's the place that you're going to be known. 
that's the place where there's going to be people who are responsible for you, right? And, you know, the way I talk about responsibility, um, responsibility um, versus just simply doing activities, responsibility is that if something dramatically changes in my life, who are the people within this church that's going to shift their priorities to come alongside to help you? Right. Because if something happened right now and like I heard about one of my kids or something happened, I would immediately say, hey, Pastor Lucius, can you come up here and can you finish leading this time? Because I got to go take care of responsibility. Why? Because I'm responsible. I'm responsible. And so if the church really is family, there's a couple of questions that I constantly want us to always ask is at this church, who is responsible for you and who are you responsible for? Right. And there's when we recognize that we whenever we are part of a body, that we are both givers and takers in the church. Who are you responsible for and who is responsible for you? And so what I would love for you guys to share a little bit is like, how has God, Kalechi, why don't we start with you? How has God led you toward deeper relationships with God and the Blueprint family? One. uh, So with our sitter group, we have Tuesday night prayers. And it's like an hour long and we do it every Tuesday. And for me, that's really like separated out of like a, a time to actually get on your knees and actually pray. Because uh, it's very easy on a regular time period to just be like, hey, I'll pray, you know, wake up in the morning and say a quick prayer. Like, what's up, God? And like we, we bail out of there. But like this is like a very selective period where we're praying for everybody in our city group or anybody else who has a prayer point or anything that they've heard that, hey, we want to pray about this person, that person, or anything. Uh, sometimes it's just praying for the church as a whole, it's praying for the U.S., it's praying for whatever, and we just pray about it. And that has really, like, built up that relationship. Even if no one shows up, or even if it's only, like, two of us on the call, three of us on the call, it's, like, a great time of just, like, a separation. And then just with my city groups, it's just, like, getting to know different people and seeing their stories, their background, and where they're coming from. So that's uh, how I've kind of been able to, like, grow in Blueprint and learn people and get to know folks. Amen. Tara, what about you guys in the fourth ward? So you are the a city group that's in this neighborhood and basically trying to serve this neighborhood, um, specifically the old fourth ward. How does your city group um, grow into deeper relationships towards one towards God and one another? Yes. Yeah, so the city group for me, it really is a lifeline. I encourage you, if you're not plugged in, um, please do not leave here today without talking to somebody. It's the highlight of my week. Me and my children look forward to it. Um, the faces of the brothers and sisters in my group. Um, we, one thing that I've enjoyed the most is that we have learned to bear one another's burdens. We are learning to actively take responsibility as family. This gospel-centered um, center that he, that Hadi was talking about, in a world that's so chaotic, in a world that's sifting sand, we have this one thing that's the anchor for our souls that we come together. And we belong and we matter and we encourage one another. It's the place where the one another's are being felt. And so we we draw great strength from each other um, during that time. And then I love seeing gospel and then family and then mission just come so naturally based on those two um, first coming together and seeing the different people being able to exercise their gift and their passion. So one might teach, one might sing, one might lead a prayer, one might be gifted with, um, you know, evangelistic efforts or food, but just seeing how the body of Christ, the church, the different unit, the different parts, and when everybody plays their part, 
it's like this beautiful symphony that ultimately brings so much glory. To Tara, continue on a little bit. Give us a little bit of example. You talked about how that works with you within the community, a place of belonging and matter. But how does your city group encourage one another toward loving your neighbor? Right. Yeah. You know, how does that look and yeah. what does that look like? So I love the church being put on display and that they will know that we belong to him by the love that we have one another for one another. So I see that love increasing all the more amongst each other. So when someone invites one of their friends, they'll ought, I'll often hear there's love that's here. There's love that's present. I'm invited in this space. I feel safe in this space. And then that just trickles down to everything else. Um, one of the things that we are passionate about is prayer walking is, you know, disconnected people within the neighborhood or even the church building bridges to Christ and to the church by hosting bridges, hosting things like assisting with the health fair, church in the park, the angel tree efforts and so forth. So just being able to invite our neighbors, like last week, um, we had 720 supplies that went out and in each bag, there was an invitation for those people that came forward to come to Blueprint Church. Amen. And we, we prayed for all, all the people like multiple times. Amen. So. Thank you. Um, this, why don't you answer that same question? Yeah, so uh, the way our city group is set up, we have rhythms. Um, one of those rhythms meeting up twice uh, a month. Uh, and that's like just our Bible study, like our co-ed um, type of gathering. And then uh, men meet up every Saturday, no matter what, we're going to meet up every single Saturday. Ladies meet up uh, every other uh, week. But once a month, our once a month gathering is really a missional uh, gathering. And what we do is like, let's say we could be having a uh, barbecue at my house. Uh, whoever my wife meets while she's at the park with uh, Keelan or whoever, uh, anyone in our city group meet, that's an opportunity for them to come and be part of our uh, once a month gathering. Uh, another way that we do it is we just participate in the things that are already happening in the community. Sometimes, um, you know, uh, we think uh, or I think I got to create something new and make that and, and invite people to something new. But uh, so Adair Park is going to be having Adair Park Borders, Pittsburgh. Um, and so they're going to be having a pie competition, right? We're going to set up at the pie baking competition, you know, and we're going to love and engage people in our uh, community that way. Hey, what what the heck is 30 people doing around this booth? You know, like what's, what's going on here? Uh, you know, we're part of a church, you know, so that's one yeah. of the ways that we just want to uh, be present and use uh, that platform as a way. So we talked about some of the positive things, but what are some of the challenges that you may face in kind of trying to mobilize a group of people to God in gospel family? Mission? Yep. Yep. So one of the challenges is um, uh, communities always have tension. Right. And so uh, I think the challenge is the different stages of life that people are in. You know, new families, um, you know, some new families that don't have children, uh, families that do have children, singles, you know, what I mean, uh, single with children, you know. So those are always tensions that are in a community and it's uh, easy to run and flee to that affinity group. Uh, but if you look into your neighborhood right now, you'll see there's a bunch of different uh, people living different ways. And so we want to run to, uh, it's also, it's a challenge, but it's also a gift, uh, because in that God is able, uh, to teach, you know, uh, 
the married couple, hey, uh, what does it look like to really serve people well um, that might be needing something more uh, than you could give them? Are you willing to sacrifice your time? And then you have um, the, you know, if I'm single, what does it look like for me to pursue relationship uh, for someone, if I, if I aspire to, um, you know, marriage, like what does it look like to have a healthy marriage? What does it look like to care well for uh, your children? Amen. So, I mean, in there, there's different, like you said, there's great advantages and disadvantages. So at Blueprint, our primary way to connect, we we don't believe, like, we don't have, like, a singles ministry or a married ministry. That's the way a lot of churches address that and deal with some of that problem is creating those. We just, we don't think that that's bad. We just have decided that we're not going to um, do that. You know, and part of that is based upon the conviction, like, you know, I'm married. Like I said, we have six children. Whenever DJ, my oldest son, have a problem, I don't go start an older son's ministry, right? It's just kind of like, because no one else can relate to him, right? But what we do is it's like we come together and it's like, listen, DJ has a problem. We all need to figure it out, even though none of us can relate to being the older son per se, right? And I think oftentimes we kind of get into some of these niches and we think that we can only grow if we are around people who are just in our same season, our same you know, area of life. And so that's one of the things that we just, we want to cultivate. Yeah, I know you don't want me to talk more, but can I add something to that? What you said? Look at that. Um, no, you can't. Yeah, yeah. So we shared this uh, this week in our community, sometimes uh, in our community uh, city group, uh, sometimes we think that um, uh, the people around us are barriers to community, but really it's what's going on within us, you know? Yeah. Our needs, expectations, et cetera, et cetera, are the things that are really barriers to community. Are we willing to overcome that right. so that we could be uh, a picture to the world that That's God has desired us? To so be. the word, the phrase that we talk about is think intersection, not addition. Intersection, not addition. Kalechi, you're different. Like here in the fourth ward is very easily defined. You even at the very beginning talked about Southwest Atlanta, just anything kind of South. I mean, so I know one of the challenges that you have is how do you gather people who live 15, 20 minutes apart, especially in Atlanta traffic? So what are some ways that you have, as if that being one of your challenges, how do you overcome? So one of the things we've done is we've taken it from being just in one place all the time and started moving it to be in different neighborhoods every so often. So uh, earlier this year, we did where we were having Bible studies at different uh, different of our group members and family members' houses. And then now we just do a monthly uh, supper get-together uh, that we do every single month. And it's just an opportunity for people to have the opportunity to open up their homes. And like you said, it's like invite people in those times of like, hey, we're going to be doing this thing. Do you want to stop through? Do you want to come by? We're just going to be hanging out, eating good food, fellowshipping, breaking bread, those kind of things. So it's going to where our everybody is so that way it opens it up so we can be where everybody is amen amen another thing that statement i want you guys to hear in that is that when when you because we're about to break up and give you some chance to go and you might ask a question well when do you guys gather when do you guys meet and they're going to give you a time but one of the things that we believe here is that we don't invite people into time and space we invite you into relationship right we're not inviting you to a time or a space, but we invite you into a relationship. So you may come and say, hey, Sandy Springs, when you meet Wednesdays at X amount of time, where I, I live up there, but I work at Wednesdays at that time. So therefore I can't be a part. No, 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 no. That this means, that's just one time. The Lewis 8, we're constantly gathering. 
right? But we have a dinner time. We have different times that we're gathering throughout the week. So don't, just because you may not be able to meet the time or the space, doesn't mean you still can't get connected, right? So we're not inviting you into time and space. We're inviting you into a relationship. So we want to just kind of reemphasize that. Last question, and I want um, you guys to answer this question, is this, what are some of your plans? Like, as you think about, I'll give you it's a 30-second and so what is the plans that we're going to break up and give them more opportunities to kind of meet? But what are some of the plans that you have for this upcoming year? Yeah, you go. Why don't you start off, Terry? Uh, my, I mean, my burden for the group is Acts chapter 2. If you're not familiar, it just says that they were in awe of the Lord. They were committed to the reading of the word, the prayer, the caring for one another, um, that they broke bread in their homes. They celebrated each other. They kept the, the main thing, the main thing. And it says that if any of them had a need, that they were there to meet those needs. It also says that the Lord um, added onto um, their, their number. And so keep those main things, those rhythms, keep them going. I'm also just really excited about some of like the men specifically our meeting DNA, but really and truly praying that our group would gather together and go on our very first mission trip um, this upcoming spring break. And so I got a chance to take my daughter. Hopefully, you know, my sons will go and I hope that the members of the group um, will also join. Amen. Uh, for us, uh, one of the things is kind of making sure our rhythms stay intact, uh, whether it be our, our weekly prayers and also our weekly Bible studies. And then the monthly supper meetings that we have or monthly supper gatherings that we have. And then from there is then reaching out and helping wherever each person needs has a need in their neighborhood. Um, just kind of coming alongside them, it's kind of to the point of Ditson that he said earlier is rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, it's like just join the wheel. Um, just add an extra hand to wherever they are in their neighborhoods. Kind of pick a thing or two from there and then bring that back to our neighborhoods and see how we can grow from that. So that's what we've been trying to reestablish. Uh, after the last two years and just kind of push forward from there. Amen. Uh, for us, there's 10 things. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> two things. Uh, we want to uh, love and care uh, well enough for each other so that we could love and care well enough for the people in our community. Right. So if I, I mean, if I think I'm going to share the gospel with uh, somebody in Jamaica and I never share the gospel with somebody in Atlanta, I'm tripping. And if I'm not loving and caring well enough for the people in my community, like the people that God has already placed around me, how am I going to do that with my neighbors? So we want to make sure that we're loving and caring well enough for each other so that we could invite other people into that as well. And then two is uh, presence. We want to have presence in the community. Who do people run to? Uh, when there is a crisis, who do people run to when there is a need, right? It should be, you know, the people of God. And so we want people to uh, start to like identify us as, you know, that beacon of hope, you know, that city on the hill, those that they can run to in our neighborhoods. One more thing. Um, I've been praying for the members of the group. Um, some of them have already gone um, through Known 360, but just really praying that each person in the group um, can go through the Known 360. It's a huge transformative platform that we have here. I really believe in it, and it gives language to the heart that, um, like I said, is very transformative. So that's another thing that I'm really hoping for. So for those of you who don't know who Known 360 is, it's basically, um, it's a time where we get to learn how to be 
better in relationships with one another. Relationships are hard, right? And we just want to come alongside and helping you and give you some tangible tools. And so that's going to be November. We're doing it. We do a once a year, a twice a year retreat. And that's November 18th through the 20th that we'll be doing that um, during that time. Um, so what we're going to do is we're only going to take five minutes. So don't leave. Five minutes. We're going to break off into groups. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.